Underdog Podcast from SB Nation and Underdog Dynasty. Welcome back to another edition of the Conference USA Underdog Podcast on UnderdogDynasty.com, SB Nation's home for G5 football. Week four is done. Week five is on the horizon. Not too much really else to say unless we just jump right into the show and start talking football. Uh, I'm Joe Lonergan, the Western Kentucky CUSA blogger over at UnderdogDynasty.com. Good to be back with you once again. And we have Eric Henry, the FIU beat writer extraordinaire um, and uh, car ac- recent car accident victim, unfortunately. <laughs> Uh, so Eric, how you doing? You had kind of a rough weekend, you were telling me. Yeah, yeah, you know, the wreck, hey, you know, it's, it's my first one in, 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 you know, 11 years, so I can't complain. Uh, but it, it happens, man, you know, it, it, it was all in the name of getting to watch football. You know, I was getting up to Orlando to watch the UCF game, then I had to drive down to, uh, get back to my beat at FIU, so it was all in the name of college football, all in the name of CUSA. Uh, but all in all, um, it, it could be worse, so I'm all good. It's true. It's true. Yeah, driving for you were telling me a little bit like going from Tampa to Orlando is just hectic as as heck, and like I do not envy people who have to make that drive on a regular basis like you do. Yeah, the the, the Tampa, believe it or not, the Tampa to Miami one is really smooth. It's just a straight shot. Mm-hmm. It's the Tampa to Orlando one because it's only about ninety minutes, and most people uh, you can get there in ninety minutes safely, and they try to race and get there in like an hour, and that's the one that's that's uh, kind of dangerous. So it caught up to me, but like I said, Joe, all in all, uh, could be worse. You know, I'm, I'm still standing, so it's all good. Certainly true, and uh, you had the benefit of uh, seeing your alma mater get a victory over FAU. Uh, the Golden Knights won that one, fifty-six to thirty-six. Um, in this game, though, Devin Singletary really played extremely well with 131 yards and two touchdowns. I think the issue for FAU here was the defense really just had no answer for Mackenzie Milton, who accounted for six total touchdowns. Um, Eric, you were at this game. What was your impression from being front and center there? Uh, first thing first, when we start, so UCF Twitter doesn't jump all over Joe. They are, they're no longer the Golden Knights. They're, they're a little sensitive <laughs> about that. <laughs> okay. Um, no, uh, my, my impressions game, honestly, is Mackenzie Milton is exactly who we, who we thought he was. You know, uh, the G5 game of the year kind of lived up to its billing for a half. And, uh, you know, it was really a great atmosphere to see in person, Joe, especially with two teams here in, in football crazy Florida. Um, it, it this was, you know, if I may go ahead and say it, it was on par with the Florida, Florida States and the Florida Miamis in terms of atmosphere. I'm not saying in terms of, you know, talent sending players to the NFL, but in terms of just the buzz and atmosphere, uh, surrounding the stadium is really right there. Uh, the major downfall for FAU really were just turnovers. You know, Chris Robson going to this one, we knew he'd be a major factor and, and how well could he compete with Milton? Uh, the three interceptions he had and, and, and the third quarter was just where UCF pulled away. For, for Milton, what more can you say about the kid? You know, accounting for six total touchdowns, the, the FAU pass defense has just been surprising some par this season. Friday night was no different, but, you know, the positive for the Owls is now they can look forward to Conference USA play and, and defending their crown, but just overall, another win for the Knights who just are, they're rolling. They're rolling towards another New Year's Six game. It's true, and I kind of said earlier this year that if they played well against Oklahoma, which they didn't, and then won out the rest of the year, I think FAU would have a pretty decent chance of getting to a New York six game or New Year's six game rather, not New York six. There's no college football in New York, but um, with this loss, I think it's safe to say that this pretty much eliminates FAU's chances of getting to a New Year's six bowl game. Is that fair to say? 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, without question, they really were going to have to win this one and run the table because, uh, you know, we know that Boise lost and then UCF was really the only other, uh, group of, uh, group of six team or group of five team that, uh, that would be able to compete. So yeah, their, their chances. And, and you know what, Joe? That's not a lost season. I, I, I no. want to emphasize that, you know, winning a CUSA, let's not, let's not hype up, you know, um, uh, no pun intended, right, for underdog dynasty. And let's not hype up the idea of being the underdog and going in and crashing the, uh, crashing the party. There's no, there's no shame in winning a, a league title. So let's not act as if that's not an, uh, an achievement to be proud of. So, uh, while the New Year Six might not be attainable, they can still compete in Conference USA. Nothing to be ashamed of at all. And speaking of league titles, I'm sure, uh, Western Kentucky would really like to get back to the days where they were winning league titles on the regular. Uh, they beat Ball State 28 to 20 over the weekend. Uh, personally, I was really thrilled with what WKU's defense was able to do late in this game. Uh, they gave up 400 yards, sure, but they came through with uh, keeping Riley Neal and company out of the end zone when they needed to try and tie the game there. But um, kind of an unfortunate thing for Western in this game. Davis Shanley couldn't go in the second half due to some shoulder pain. Uh, doesn't appear to be too serious as he hasn't been ruled out as the Week 5 starter. But uh, Stephen Duncan came in and threw two touchdowns. Looks like a competent runner. Uh, so the quarterback battle continues, I guess, with a rivalry coming up here. But um, all in all, not a bad day for Western. Saw what I was hoping to see for the last year and a half or so out of Maquan Dean. So um, I'm excited about what Western did in that game. Just hopefully they can keep some momentum going forward here as they get into conference play. Yeah, Joe, and, and there you kind of touched on it right there at the end, you know, because uh, Michael Andine is a guy who you've talked about now. I mean, since I've been doing the podcast with you and go, obviously going back proud of that, you know, he had two scores and I've wanted to find, I've, I've wanted them to find a way to give him the ball more. You know, being a big target of tight end and obviously, you know, kind of the quarterback carousel hasn't helped that as far as developing any continuity with, uh, with quarterbacks, but he's a big target there. He's a safety blanket. He's a guy who, you know, if you can't get the ball on the outside, just work with him on the inside. Uh, I will say this, Joe, you do seem a little, I don't know if it's if it's uh, frustration or a little subdued about the win. And, and granted, you shouldn't be over the top about a win over Ball State because this should be, at this point in time for the program, should be an expectation. But, you know, for Mike Sanford's team really to stop the skid, for me, that's my major takeaway from this game is that, you know, I, I've referenced this maybe a half dozen times on this podcast, but uh, the 2015 UCF team that had, if my memory still uh, serves me correct, um, 15 or 16 players who, who played some type of professional football, mm-hmm. they went winless. You know, so it, it's not even about talent. It's more it's about a mentality. You know, you can let the season get away from you or you can kind of say, hey, this is it, as we'll talk about Old Dominion in a few, and they did the same thing. So I'm, I'm really proud of the uh, of the toppers. You know, I, 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 I can understand if you're, you're a little, you know, frustrated that, hey, it's taken this long for them to get it going, but, you know, I'm 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 excited they got the win because it could have gone much worse. I mean, yeah, I'm excited that they got the win too. I think it's just more of like a feeling of relief at at this point after that game, sure. you know. Um and uh they just needed this victory so bad. Um you could tell by the way that like Mike Sanford and the coaching staff and even some of the players were really, you know, presenting themselves. Um in the build up to that game and after the Louisville game and uh after the main game especially, that there was just this, like, dejected feeling, and they were really trying to, you know, keep their spirits up, but it was it was definitely getting a little, a little tough. So I think the feeling now is, 
you know, they understand the challenge that's ahead of them going into conference play with uh, how good Marshall's offense is and how good FAU is and how good some of these other teams that they're going to play are. But I think just the relief to have something positive on their resume before that starts was uh, was just a big, you know, I wouldn't say spirit lifter, but kind of kept them from going off the deep end almost. So hopefully they can build on that this week. Yeah, Joe, and, and like I said, you know, Ball State isn't isn't the benchmark for Western Kentucky fans. I'm sure they want to be competing with, you know, the, the likes of Conference USA and the likes of the Wisconsin's who they took on earlier this season. Mm-hmm. But you know, they got they got the win, and more importantly, you know, uh, they're establishing that David Shanley should be the guy going forward. And, and you mentioned that he had the shoulder issue. We'll see if he can go this week. But those are two things, you know, establish your quarterback is going to be and get the win, and they they were able to do that, you know. And and they'll be competing with another exciting offense in Louisiana Tech because we transition to the their uh, showdown with uh, in-state rival LSU. That's true. Um, LSU ended up beating Tech 38 to 21 over the weekend. Um, got off to a 24 to nothing lead, so that ended up being a little too much to overcome for the Texters. Uh, Tech did pull it within three points in the fourth quarter, though. LSU's very good, but Tech outgained them actually 417 to 409 in this one. 330 yard day for Jamar Smith. Plenty of good takeaways for Tech's offense um, in this one. So I, that's kind of my biggest thing with this is Tech actually played really well and showed that they have the talent to you know compete with these type of P5 teams. Um, you know, even if LSU maybe took their foot off the gas a little bit, but anytime you have the number six team in the country within three points that late in the game, I would say you got to be relatively happy with that and um, have some good momentum heading into uh, a really important game with North Texas next week. Yeah, so you and I are really uh, on the same page. We have the same takeaways from this game. You know, for Tech fans, outside of a win, this had to be a result that you're pleased with. You know, Jamar Smith, in my opinion, he definitely outclassed rising star Joe Burrow. Um, but one thing we know about the Tigers over the years is that they have a stable of running backs. You know, last Saturday was no different. Clyde Edwards, Nick Brossette, that's uh, one of those uh, Louisiana names I've been practicing a little bit. Brossette accounted for five TDs, and, and Tech actually did a good job holding Brossette to, uh, I want to say he had 3.5 yards to carry. I, I, I know he had under four. Um, but, you know, the Tigers get to win as expected. But, yeah, going into Conference USA play, you know, you can't be disappointed with, with that type of result, especially with the LSU who is going to be right there come playoff time. So, yeah, um, overall for Tech fans, kind of what you expected. Uh, I guess maybe you would have wanted to see a little bit more out of Jaquist Dancy, but uh, that's maybe nitpicking on my part. Yeah, I mean, there's just so many good pieces of this Tech offense, and we would really been waiting for, like, a breakthrough game to show how all this great talent can kind of mesh together. And I think this is the closest thing we've had. It just, it's a shame for them that it didn't result in a win. But again, number six team in the country, really close to, uh, you know, being in this playoff, just need, you know, one or two teams to stumble down the road and who knows. But a good day for tech, nothing really to be too worried about as they go into conference play. Um, Speaking of Conference USA teams that had really great days, Old Dominion 49, Virginia Tech 35. Mathematically, this is the biggest upset in college football this season after VT was favored by 28 points, I believe, heading into it. Uh, Blake LaRusa counted for five touchdowns. John Duhart caught three as he continues his audition for the pros. So after this win and three losses before this, I have to ask... 
what even is this team? <laughs> you know, you lose those three games in a fashion that had a lot of people really worried about the state of this program. And now you come in and you beat a top 20 team and probably have like, you know, you're up to this point, your career defining win for, uh, for Bobby Wilder. Uh, yeah, by far this is the career defining win for Bobby Wilder. You know, what a day for his club, Joe. Uh, as you mentioned, one of the biggest upsets of the year, uh, by the numbers. And, and you gotta start with the decision, in my opinion, you gotta start with the decision to go with Blake LaRusso instead of young Stephen Williams. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I will ask Joe after I finish my analysis what he thinks about the quarterback situation, but if you've listened to this pod, and I'm sure you have, you know I'm a fan of Stephen Williams, but you know, this wasn't about him today. This is about Blake LaRusso throwing for almost 500 yards and four TDs. Uh, Jeremy Cox had a buck 20 on the ground, which was nice to see, so it wasn't just a, a huge pass effort and, and you talked about John Duhart and Travis Fulgham, you know, they torched the VT defense. This win really made my Conference USA uh, football day. Uh, couldn't be happy for an ODU fan base who came to the season with such high hopes, so it's a great win for the Monarchs, but yeah, Joe, back to uh, back to square one. I'm just going to put it out there. Um, I don't like being a hot take guy, but, you know, here's just a common denominator. Um, ODU didn't get off to the great start that they wanted to to start the year. Uh, Blake LaRusse is inserted instead of Stephen Williams. Uh, I asked you this question last week, and I, I think you made um, a really good point in that without being there to know the kid, you can't know his maturity. And by everything coming out of Old Dominion, it's not a maturity. And that's not what I'm implying. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I guess I'm just curious. If you're, if you're Stephen Williams, well, first off, I'm curious, Joe, who do you go with going forward? And then if you're Stephen Williams, where do you go from here? Because, you know, at 18 years old, you've got your entire college football career ahead of you with two and a half more years left. Uh, is this the end for him at ODU? How old, how old is Blake LaRusso? Let me ask that clarifying question. I believe he is a, a sophomore. Um, I am going to check it on the fly really quickly. But, but you know, with Stephen Williams, I, I guess the main reason why I'm questioning what his future is, is that, um, he got off to the slow start, and uh, he, he wasn't exactly like he lit the world up last year, but the excuse was he was young. Sure. Um, at this point, I, I would say Blake LaRusse is a QB1. You know, there's not really too much of a doubt in my mind just based on his body of work up to this point. And, you know, if it, if it is the case where they're the same age, um, yeah, you got to wonder if um, – this is where Stephen Williams stays in the long term. I'm not saying he should transfer um, or anything like that, but uh, if he hasn't used like his redshirt year, maybe this this might be kind of a good time to kind of put that into place, train up, and see if he can kind of come back and get a, at least a year of being the the definitive QB one for Old Dominion under his belt, but. I don't know, just I'm a big believer in you go with the guy with the hot hand. And Blake LaRusa has the hot hand right now. And I think he's just playing well and handling the the pressure of being a Division I starting quarterback better than Stephen Williams is. And that's, you know, no disrespect to Stephen Williams. Like you said, I have no idea what's going through his head or uh, what he's dealing with right now. But I think Blake LaRusa gives Old Dominion the best chance to win right now. And for whatever reason, he's having um, a much easier time connecting with you know guys like Jonathan Duhart. And when you have a talent like Jonathan Duhart, you can't be losing the games that they were before this Virginia Tech game. So I, I think you roll with LaRusa at this point. 
guys are, you know, those are all good points. I guess, you know, from, from my POV, it's just, it's a confidence thing. I'm a huge believer of that. And you're right, you know, for your team, you want to roll with the hot hand, but QBs are creatures of habit. And then when you start tinkering with their confidence, uh, especially for young Stephen Williams, who this team came in with such high expectations and then you aren't able to live up to them, boom, Blake LaRusse is inserted. You're being the number 20 team in the nation. So, uh, that, that's got to be a bit of a, uh, uh, you know, just something that kind of tortures your confidence. But yeah, you know, we'll see going forward. For sure. Um, so hopefully they have uh, some good things on their horizon. I think FIU has some good things on their horizon too. Just kind of ran into a Miami team that is, you know, making a push towards the, uh, college football, uh, elite right now in terms of the rankings. But Hurricanes ended up beating the Panthers 31 to 17 over the weekend. FIU didn't score until the fourth quarter. And I think that's really what ended up, you know, doing them in. Just Miami built up too much of a cushion. Uh, by the end of this game and positive for FIU here. I think we saw that CJ Wharton is a legitimate playmaker along with some of the other guys on this team. But Eric, again, this was another game that was on your schedule for this weekend. What did you see out of the Panthers that really impressed you or didn't impress you? Yeah, you know, I was at that one live, and let me tell you something right now, Joe. Um, just, you know, before I get into FIU, uh, that's my first time seeing UM uh, live, and, and, you know, there's something to be said about that atmosphere and seeing, you know, the canes come out and the smoke and all that. That's that's a really phenomenal atmosphere to see uh, up close. Right. Um, as far as the game as far as the game goes, yeah, there is overmatched by UM's defensive line, Gerald Willis III, who's a Florida transfer. Uh, he might be the second-best defensive tackle in the nation behind Ed Oliver of Houston. You know, he and Joe, Joe Jackson um, gave James Morgan fits all afternoon. Uh, the Panthers really had no answer for a QB change that, according to Mark Rick postgame, I was able to stop by both his presser and make it uh, for the Butch Davis postgame presser. Uh, Coach Rick said that that wasn't planned. Um, but and, and whether that was or wasn't the case, you know, who knows? But no one expected it. Uh, when we asked Coach Davis postgame, uh, he brushed off the question and said, hey, you know, I don't control when Mark plays his players. Go ask Mark that question. It, it's none of my concern. But uh, linebacker Ed Freeman flat out said no. They weren't expecting it uh, to see Nikosi Perry. And it's not, you know, uh, necessarily a coaching thing because they both are similar players. But Perry just had a hell of a ball game. Um, if you're an FIU fan, the positive, like you said, is that the Panthers never stopped fighting. And, and C.J. Warden is a really good receiver, um, another Florida transfer as well. We had a chance to talk to him postgame. And he said that he and Morgan, uh, they've had a good rapport going uh, going back to the summer when James got to campus. And uh, one of the things with C.J. is that he's been there. Well, this is the first year you're seeing seeing him as a Panther. He was a red shirt last year. And, uh, Joe, all the players on the team talk about, hey, uh, this guy, C.J. Warden, he may have been the second-best receiver on our team if he was eligible to play last year. So that's something that you want to take forward for FIU going forward. Um, like you said, they weren't able to score into the fourth quarter, and that uh, that was against some of uh, UM's second string. But all in all, you know, the Panthers have a bright future, and, and UM just really overmatched uh, on that day. For sure. And, you know, FIU, like we said, they have a lot of positives to take going forward. It's just, you know, not many people really expected them to um, probably didn't expect them to keep this as close of a score as it was. You just kind of wish that they had been able to kind of get it going a little earlier and that would have made it a little more competitive. Um before we move on, I do need to make one correction that I just realized we did. Blake Larusa is a junior, not a sophomore. So okay. I don't know how that that doesn't super change things going forward. If he has you know one more year of uh, experience on Stephen Williams and one less year of eligibility. So, um, but you know I don't know. I feel like they'll get that situation figured out, and I stand by the fact that I think you need him being Old Dominion's quarterback right now. Um, 
But speaking of quarterbacks, uh, Charlotte's quarterback is playing pretty well right now. Chris Reynolds looks decent in a loss to UMass, 49-31. to uh, UMass scored 28 unanswered points in the first quarter, and that put Charlotte in a hole that uh, ended up being too deep for them to climb out of. But like I said, Charlotte played pretty well here outside of that quarter. Um, they won the time of possession battle significantly. Chris Reynolds looked comfortable in the pocket. Just not a complete game by the 49ers, and that's why they didn't come away with the victory in this game. Yeah, you know, and, and you, you touched on it on the t- at the top. Uh, Chris Reynolds, really nice game, tossing three TDs. You know, I'd like to see Brad Lambert stick him going forward instead of kind of the uh, back force between him and Hassan Clue. But like you said, you can't go on the road and fall behind by 28 and expect to win a game. It's as simple as that. Um, for UMass, that's a team that I saw in person two weeks ago, and they are really talented. You know, uh, mm-hmm. as far offensively, they have a, a lot of skill guys like Andy Isabella and Marquise Young who both reach the end zone. If you have any chance of beating them, you can't uh, give a touchdown to, to those guys. But, you know, for Brad Lambert's club, it's just, it's just frustrating, you know, because they, they by all means exceeded our expectations by getting their second win of the season. Uh, and, and this was really a game that they could have won because UMass is, uh, was struggling as well. Um, but, but to kind of be out of it after for, after first quarter is something that, that if you're a 49er fan, has to be frustrating because you look at the rest of the schedule, I don't see what's going on it. So there's yeah. that. Yeah, and I mean, like you said, Charlotte's already kind of exceeded our expectations with getting two wins, as, as sad as that still is to say. But based on their performance the last couple of weeks, you know, keeping this game relatively competitive, um, for the most part anyway, outside of that, that first quarter, and the way that they played in previous weeks, um, you know, do you think that this is a team that kind of teeters on the edge of bowl eligibility maybe? I don't know. It's it's weird to see what this team's doing with um, you know some of these other teams that are starting to struggle a little bit in conference play, and you know that's exactly what Charlotte's about to take a big step into. For, for, forgive me, Joe. <laughs> okay, I got to play devil's advocate sometimes. And you're right, and that's and that's fair. Um, I, I'm sorry, Charlotte fans. I, I, there's no way this team is going to a bowl game. So let's just well, that's on the record right now. Go ahead. Fair enough. And I'll, st- I'll step out of my devil's advocate's advocate suit, and we'll get back to the real world. Um, and in the real world, North Texas is just crushing people. 47-7 to was the score against Liberty. Another productive day for UNT's offense, 531 total yards. Uh, Mason Fine did his part with 188 passing yards and two touchdowns. It was a big day for a junior running back, Loren Easley, also with 177 yards on the ground, two touchdowns. Defensively, just barely let Liberty get anything going. Uh, the Flames had four substantial drives. One was their touchdown. One ended in a missed field goal. One ended in an interception. And one was a turnover on downs. So we talked about how Charlotte did not play a complete game. North Texas played about as complete a game as you can get. Yeah, Joe, you know, um, if you listen to this podcast and you know how I feel about, uh, the CUSA teams kind of going up against, uh, lower competition, what I like to see. I want to see, I don't want to see a 50 to 21, you know, 41, 28, 41, 20, whatever. No, come out and just really pound that team in the submission from the start. Mm-hmm. That's exactly what UNT did there. They roll, you know, the Mason Fine guy, you know, he's all right. It's pretty good. Uh, two TDs, you know, whatever. But, uh, 
the Lauren Easley show is what I'm uh, more interested in because 27 carries for 177 yards and two scores. Joe, if the Mean Green can get a running game going to go with Jalen Guyton and Rico Bussey, you know, look out. Um, not too much else to add from that game that I was glad to just see UNT go out and dominate from start to finish. It's a good win for North Texas. But, yeah, uh, if they're going to get, you know, that type of production or, or even uh, 100, 115, 120 yards from Lauren Easley on a weekly basis, then, you know, there might be one more group of five team that we didn't talk about, and that's North Texas. <laughs> Are the rich going to get richer if North Texas gets a, gets a decent running game here? It's frustrating. Exactly. <laughs> I don't know. Like, it's just, you know, some teams have everything and some teams have nothing. And North Texas has everything right now. So, uh, but, you know, they're, they're we'll, slow. We'll, we'll get to, oh no, John, I, I, I just going to say, we'll get to a couple teams who have nothing in a second. I think we've, uh, yeah, I think we've, 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 yeah, we've been there once or twice before. <laughs> but, um, yeah, you know, we, we talked about it in our, like, G5, Top ten that uh, it goes up on the site every week, but North Texas is really starting to show that they're you know right up there in the top five in the G five ranks along with uh, UCF and some of the other teams in in the American there. So I you know North Texas's cup runneth over right now. So that's anytime you can finish non conference play undefeated and roll into league play with that kind of momentum, you are in very good shape. So. People are sleeping easy in Denton right now. Um, in Hattiesburg, not too shabby of a spot for the Golden Eagles to be in either. USM beat Rice 40-22 to over the weekend. Um, Rice, for the most part, looked pretty uninspired. Um, did have a 62-yard touchdown in there, but two turnovers, only 262 yards, 12 first downs for the Owls in this one. Um, on the USM side, Jack Abraham looked fantastic. Four touchdowns, 428 yards, possibly quieting the conversation about Quadra Griggs coming back as the starter for a bit, but a convincing win in all facets for Southern Miss here. Yeah, Joe, Jack Abraham really shut me up, huh? You know, I've, I've been, uh, I've been on the pod the past couple weeks talking about, you know, do they, do they need Quadro Griggs back? You know, is, is there a quarterback controversy in Hattiesburg? Are they going to have enough, et cetera, et cetera? Well, how about 428 and four scores through the, through the air for, uh, Abraham? Uh, Quez Watkins gets on the board with a TD. He's a guy who I'd like to see step up and propel, propel himself into the upper echelon of Conference USA wideouts. Um, you know, he's a guy who's just supremely talented, but you want to see him do that on the big stage. Uh, it's for Rice, uh, Sean Stankovic and Emmanuel Espa. Nothing going for them. They're not going to win many ball games at all, mm-hmm. let alone a good uh, against a good Southern Miss team if they can't get them going. Uh, for Mike, Bloom, Mike Bloomgren's club, excuse me, they're still waiting for that complete game. You know, they fall to one and three when they could easily be two and two or three and one. Um, but hats off to the Golden Eagle defense for doing a great job against a talented Rice. and and you know, hey, good win for uh, for Southern Miss. And Jack Abraham said, hey, you know, uh, I, I think I've got this job unlocked for the time being. So you don't you don't think Quadra Griggs uh, is back in the conversation for the time being with how well Jack Abraham's playing right now? Sure, exactly, Joe. Um, you know, despite how I may sound with a team like UTSA, for example, who I, I mm-hmm. go back and forth about which quarterback need to play you know, week from week because they don't have one. Um, Jack Abraham, if you're going to come out and put up those numbers, then I, there's no reason for me to bring up Griggs. Um, you know, I, and the reason I brought him up was just. It wasn't more so my perspective. It's just that, you know, Eagle fans are going to be wondering after the loss, um, do we need this guy to compete? But, hey, if Jack Abraham's going to do that and step up to the challenge, you know, there you go. 
He's certainly doing that. And uh, you mentioned UTSA, so let's just jump into what they were able to do against Texas State in the Battle of I-35. Um, they wouldn't. They won 25 to 21 against the Bobcats. Give credit here to UTSA's defense and their special teams. Three turnovers, three 40-yard-plus field goals for uh, Sackett in this one, uh, plus a safety and a defensive touchdown. So you ideally you want your offense to be doing a little more probably, but not a bad way to get your first win of the year and against a rival at that. Yeah, yeah, Joe, and, and I actually want to go ahead and make an amendment to my first line because mm-hmm. I my first line I had here was by hook or crook, it doesn't matter how you win, all that matters that you get a win. Well, you know, it doesn't have to be all offense. The defense can actually show up and, and play well, and, and defense and special teams are facets of the game that UTSA utilized in order to get the W. You know, our guy, Jared Kalmus, has to be ecstatic that the Roadrunners got a W, uh, but they still don't have a quarterback. Cordell Grundy, 19 completions for 127 yards. I'm not a mathematician, but that's uh, not quite 10 yards of completions, actually about six or five yards completion. Uh, that's not going to get, you know, uh, things going for the offense. Uh, was really outplayed by Texas State true freshman Tyler Vitt, who uh, had two TDs but had two costly interceptions that really sealed the deal mm-hmm. for UTSA. And, and uh, I've pra- been practicing this one, so I'm going to try to get it right. Josiah Tuafia. Uh, I think I butchered it last name, but all right. He had a major game, uh, nine and a half tackles, two and a half sacks. So defense really did their part. Um, all that matters, they got the win. So a solid win for UTSA. Yeah, for sure. I think it might be I, – I always thought it was Taufea. I don't know. I, I used to work in rugby, so these Polynesian last names don't give me as okay. much trouble as some of these other people. But I think it's Taufea. Anyway, the the UTSA defense is playing quite well right now. I think it's just a matter of that offense catching up and the wins are going to come. Hopefully. Sure. <laughs> sure. Hopefully they'll come in. And it's just, you know, you've got that Swiss Army knife in, in DJ Gillings, who, mm-hmm. you know, is is such a dynamic player, but, you know, he's not consistent at this point in his career, but neither is Cordell Grundy. Um, what I, I don't want to jump too far ahead into our preview, but hey, Grundy got you the win, so I think you got to stick with him and try to develop some type of consistency there for the Roadrunners. For sure. Um, <coughs> Moving on to a team that's not having quarterback problems right now. Um, Marshall did not quite get the win against NC State. 37-20 to was the score there. Really, the three turnovers screwed Marshall. Uh, just had some big plays um, that they did manage to cook up, but just wasn't enough. 82-yard touchdown by Marcel Williams from Isaiah Green in this game. Also had a fumble return for a touchdown on a kickoff, thanks to just a monster hit um, that I'm sure you can go and look up on Twitter or YouTube or whatever. That made the rounds quite a bit. Um, So, really... Give NC State some credit, but still, there was a clear lack of execution from Marshall in this game, and hopefully they can get that fixed moving forward. Not this week, though, because they're playing Western, but... <laughs> yeah, there you go. Um, you know, Joe, for the herd, two guys I spotlighted last week that they'd have to be able to stop would be the quarterback wide receiver duo of Ryan Finley, who feels like he's been in NC State since I was in high school, and Kelvin Harmon. Uh, for Dave Doran's club, you know, they got that along with two TDs from Reggie Gillespie the second. Um, it, it's, it's just kind of disappointing that we didn't get more out of Isaiah Green. And for me, uh, at this point, that we didn't get more out of Tyree Brady because he's a guy who I think is just, he's right there. He's ready to make that leap and say, hey, you know, I'm not just a good conference USA receiver. I'm a great receiver in America. And this was the stage to do it against a Power 5 team. Uh, so just overall disappointing for the herd because it, it, 
to be honest with you, Joe, it's not that NC State is that much more talented of a team than them. Mm-hmm. To be honest, and sometimes you have this, uh, it'll happen in football. If you line this, if you line them up and play this one again tomorrow, the Herc could easily get the W. But mm-hmm. you know, that's why you have to bring your A game uh, on Saturdays because you're not going to get that second shot. It's true. And going into the season, I thought this was one of those games that I thought CUSA had a really good shot to win against the P5 team. And, you know, NC State just executed better. Um, exactly. Yeah. And, and two teams who really did not execute particularly well against each other, but one somehow managed to win the game. Uh, New Mexico State beat UTEP 27 to 20. Um, on the CUSA side, UTEP probably should have won this game. 429 yards, uh, was m- over 100 yards more than what the Aggies were able to get. But the Miners did give up touchdowns on a block punt and a fumble return. Um, there's not much else to say really, despite it being a one score game. This game just had that feeling of hopelessness for UTEP. And, uh, you know, I mentioned that both these teams were winless heading into it and New Mexico State able to, uh, walk away with their first win as, uh, UTEP snatches defeat from the jaws of victory, more or less. Yeah, Joe, I, I think you summed that one up really well. You know, I, I, on this podcast, this must be karma for me getting my main prediction right because everything CUSA related, uh, I'm kind of just you know out the window here. Uh, I, I'd been I'd been saying for the past couple of weeks that Kyle Oxley, you know, is going to be the guy, and that minor fans should just be patient. And, and I hope I didn't get their hopes up because this is a game that they should have won. Uh, when you're a team like Utah that's trying to rebuild, you know what you can't have miscues. Uh, mm-hmm. Two TDs not scored by the New Mexico State offense. That's not going to help you when you're own offense is a work in progress. Um, as for Mr. Loxley, he played well enough to win the game in the fact that he accounted for you know over 250 total yards. Um, maybe you would want to see a little more on the, uh, out of the passing attack, but you know he is a dual threat for that purpose. Quadres Wadley uh, had over 100 on the day, and that should have been enough. That's the frustrating thing for UTEP. That should have been enough for a minor win, but the miscues, uh, even with good teams, they'll lose games like that. So let alone a squad trying to get together like UTEP, it's not going to get the job done. No. Um, I wouldn't worry too much about the karma thing as far as getting picks wrong or whatever goes. There's two things we do on this show. It's pick games wrong and ask Twitter to be nice to us. So <laughs> you, you hit the nail around the head there, Joe. <laughs> um, so we have some rivalry games coming up for CUSA this week, and we had one big one this past week with UTSA and Texas State. And in the build-up to that game, um, it was a pretty funny story that made the rounds online. Uh, a fan actually made a shopping, or he took a shopping cart and spray painted it gold with the idea that this should actually be the new rivalry trophy for that game. Um, because the trophy that they do have is just, you know, kind of boring, run of the mill block of wood with a, uh, silver-ish looking football that's probably made of plastic on top. Um, but because that game is sponsored by HEB, which is, for those who don't know, a really popular grocery store chain in the San Antonio, San Marcos area, um, it's a creative look at how to commemorate that game instead of just kind of the boring trophy. So um, that kind of prompted my brain to go to the point of what are some of the best rivalry trophies in CUSA? And what I found is there aren't very many. Do you do you know of anybody or any rivalry trophies that really kind of stick in your brain in this realm of college football, Eric? 
yeah, Joe. You know, to be honest with you, I, I got a I got a nice laugh out of the shopping cart deal because I yeah. I'm a fan of of you know uh, um, trophies that are kind of original. You know, I mean, I, I don't think that you got to have the typical plaque or you know whatnot. You know, well, I'm a huge fan of being here in Florida, Florida, Florida State. You know, the Gatorhead versus you know the Tomahawk and whatnot. But yeah, there's nothing that really stood out. Uh, if I were just going to go total homer, I, I would say you know the standard run of the mill Shula Bowl plaque uh, just because. Um, uh, of the significance of both Don Shula and Howard Snellenberger uh, in the South Florida and, and creation of those two programs. But, yeah, nothing really stood out to me outside of that. For the Shula Bowl, it – all right, hear me out. Don Shula <laughs> has the steakhouse in Miami. Correct. The trophy should just be a big slab of meat. Just have them celebrate <laughs> with just a big T-bone or some or something like that after the game. I think that's the way to go for that. Um, I had a couple other ideas. I had one other idea for, for CUSA rivalry trophies. WKU Marshall with the moonshine throwdown, uh, get a big mason jar or just, uh, you know, go 10, 15 miles outside of Bowling Green, just get the best batch of moonshine you can find. <laughs> and just for, 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 for those of, you, uh, of the players on the team who are 21, correct? Yes, sure. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but yeah, um, for the rivalry in Dixie, I guess, between Southern Miss and, uh, Louisiana Tech, uh, just get a chicken sandwich or something like that. I don't know. Like, make, do something interesting for these, these smaller rivalry games that maybe people don't know too much about. Um, like Troy and South Alabama, for example, they have that, like, wrestling championship belt. That's something people remember. So I feel like CUSA needs to do a better job from a branding perspective of finding, you know, unique trophies for these rivalries. Because sometimes just some of these, some of the rivalries that are involved with these schools just don't really have two interesting stories behind them, regardless of how good the games end up being. And that's, you know, I feel like that's a little bit of like a missed opportunity from a branding perspective. Yeah, Joe, you know, and all jokes aside, you know, we joke about, you know, the, the slab of meat and, and the moonshine and whatnot. Um, when, like you said, when you're dealing with Conference USA rivalries, which aren't going to get the most shine and the most publicity, why not have something that, you know, if you have a unique trophy, something that two teams are competing for, that may make College Game Day, that may make Sports Center. Um, that's just good branding, you know. Uh, it, when you take, like, for example, UCF calling themselves the national champs, you know, they're calling themselves the national champs for branding, uh, nothing more, nothing less. So it's just a way to, to, to kind of get your program out there and get your rivalry game out there. So, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm right there on board with you. Let me ask you this as a UCF alum, the Civil Conflict Trophy. (laughs) Do you care or not? (laughs) Joe, I I thought that the Civil Conflict was the most ridiculous, uh, and, 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 okay, alright, you know what, I'm gonna, I'm gonna backpedal here. Okay. Bob Diaco was trying to do exactly what I just said, right? Which Mm -hmm. is brand. He was trying to build his program up and say, hey, you know what? There's a top dog. There's UCF. There's a team that has won uh, the league title. They've have, uh, I believe, three league titles in addition to uh, one that's shared. So we're going at them. Civil conflict. Boom. And and, and uh, UConn happened to beat them once. Mm-hmm. I don't blame him for the for the creation of it, but it, it's still without a shadow of a uh, Joe. How sad is it that UCF just left the damn thing right behind the bench? <laughs> at, at that point, at that point, it just kills off any type of momentum when they say, you know what, you know, we'll leave your stupid civil conflict trophy uh, behind the bench. You can stay there, and it's probably there still to this day. 
just the ultimate disrespect, and it was fantastic. I loved that whole story. <laughs> we, need, exactly. we need we need more of that. You know that like regardless of you know people saying you know oh UConn's not a real rival or whatever. The fact that you know people were able to make a story out of that is exactly why CUSA needs to be trying to do more of this. You know, hype up these rivalry games, educate people on the history behind it, and get a trophy that's you know unique to it. Um, so hopefully we see more of that going forward. Spray paint more random objects and try to get them in there. Uh, that's that's all I say. Kudos to the guy that <laughs> made that shopping cart trophy. That was really funny. Um, so I think if there's nothing else in that department, we can just move right into previews for this week. Um, so first off, Marshall heading to Bowling Green for the latest chapter of the Moonshine Throwdown. Like I mentioned, that one's going to be at uh, 7.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Uh, blackout game. Western has some new uniforms. That should be cool. Uh, Marshall is favored by six and a half here. I think that's pretty fair from what we've seen out of Isaiah Green and Tyree Brady in that offense. I don't think it's it's unfair to say that they're probably going to win this game. Um, especially with, you know, Western's defense and offense, really. They have been good in spots. It's just a matter of getting them to play a complete game. And with the explosiveness that we've seen in this Marshall offense, you can't afford to take a playoff or a quarter off or whatever it might be. So I'm, I'm going to say Marshall wins this one by 10. Okay, okay. Um, I, I actually think they win by three. Um, I do think Marshall takes a W here. For, for Marshall, it's, it's simple. Uh, Green and Brady, you gotta get them going early. That connection has to be working for Marshall to put up points. Western Kentucky has shown this year that if you hit them early, they may not be able to respond. For Western Kentucky, like I said before, the losing streak is over. That's the positive. You can easily right the wrongs of, of the early season with a win over the herd. Give Mike Juan Dean the ball. Uh, you have a QB. His name is, his name is David Shanley if he's able to go. Uh, so Ryan, get him easy throws early, hence Mike Wandine. Uh You saw Ryan Finley cover up the Marshall D, so I, personally I think the game plan is just to kind of go ahead and get the ball uh, in the air. Yeah, and based on Western secondary has just been so inconsistent this year. And that was the thing that we were harping on so much going into the season for them is how good this experienced secondary is. And they've just been so hot or cold. You know, either Devon Keys making – fantastic, you know, athletic plays or they're giving up, you know, long touchdown drives like what we saw, you know, Riley Neal be able to do last week despite Ball State not winning that game. So it should be interesting. Um, but Rice and Wake Forest in a battle of the smart kids at uh, 3.30 p.m. on ACC Network. Wake Forest favored by 26.5 in this one. Um, Wake Forest is one of those kind of hot or cold teams as well, but Rice has not shown me something, has not shown me that, uh, you know, I, they can compete with a P5 team regardless. So I think Wake Forest, uh, is gonna win this one. I don't know that it'll be by 26. It'll probably be like 21. Um, but, you know, Sam Hartman and that offense, I think, just have shown that they have some decent playmakers and I think they'll be able to shine against, uh, you know, a Rice team that's still figuring things out. Yeah, Joe, you know, I'll go ahead and, and kind of 
Excuse me. I'll go ahead and kind of take the Rice perspective and play the optimist here. Although I, I do have Wake Forest winning this game, mm-hmm. the Demon Deacon defense has taken a beat in the past two weeks, which resulted in the firing of their, de- their defensive coordinator, Jay Savile, uh, on Sunday. One of the things I'd like to see the Owls do is establish the run early to kind of keep the Demon Deacons offense off the field. Uh, Emmanuel Espo, you've got to, you've got to get easy opportunities for Sean Stankovic, so you might as well pound the rock. Another question is, you just want to see Rice rise to the challenge because you've seen them compete with Houston. Wake Forest isn't nearly on that level. Um, it's going to take the Owls' most complete game of the season, but like I said, uh, Wake Forest will get the W. Don't also think they cover the spread. Uh, I think they win by 14. Yeah, and um, we'll move into a game then between two teams whose only victory is against an in-state P5 opponent with Old Dominion heading to East Carolina on ESPN3 at uh, 3.30 Eastern time. East Carolina favored by six, and um, the thing with this game – if you're Old Dominion, like I mentioned, you gotta just ride Blake, Blake LaRusso's hot streak. Um, nothing really besides that UNC game, and I'm not, I have my own doubts about, you know, UNC's football program and their skill level right now, but I think if you're Old Dominion, you ride Blake LaRusso and his ability to play, uh, right now, and I think that if they are able to do that and just turn in, you know, a similar day to what they were able to do against Virginia Tech, I think they should win this game. They should win this game. I mean, that's all there really is to it. Um, just with the inconsistency that East Carolina has also shown. So, um, hopefully Old Dominion can do that. Sure, and, and just a quick note on ECU, you know, amongst us at Underdog Dynasty, I've been the lone uh, optimist about the ECU ball club. You know, I've, <clears throat> excuse me, I've liked them, and they played USF tough. Um, I do think ODU gets a W for them. Uh, here's the deal. Will the real ODU, will they please stand up? It's about time in, in the season where, uh, as Coach Davis says to us after every press conference, hey, I want my teams, as we're getting into conference play, to be playing their best ball. Well, maybe ODU um, can get right there as it's in conference play, but they're heading into the, the second uh, stretch of the season. Um, here's the thing. You know, for Blake LaRusso, he's going to be the guy going forward as we kind of establish. So we all know the game plan. Get Jeremy Cox going. Get the ball in your in, in the hand of your stud receivers and Duhart and Fulgham and, and you know, all-world defensive end O'Shane Zimenez will need to pressure OCU so they can get the ball uh, they can get the ball back and also uh, ECU has a really talented receiver in Trevon Brown mm-hmm. uh, a way that you can take him out of the game is to pressure their quarterback so uh, like I said, this isn't the same ECU ball club in my opinion, but you know, ODU goes in there and they head into Dowdy Ficklin in the stadium and get the W We're in agreement on that one then. Southern Miss is heading to Auburn at 4pm on the SEC Network Auburn favored by 28 in this game. They are the number 10 team in the country for a reason. Um, I think we're going to see another solid day from Jack Abraham. I don't think that um, – I, I, I think this game is not going to be a difference of 28 points, but I do think Auburn is going to win this game um, and you know continue to show that they belong in the national top 10. But – um, I don't know. I liked what I've seen out of this this USM offense for the most part. So, um, but I don't think it's ultimately going to be enough to win against uh, you know Jatarvius Whitlow and <laughs> and some of these other playmakers on that Auburn offense. I had that name written down and I was like, oh no, <laughs> I'm <gonna laughs> this up. But here we go. Yeah, um, you know, it, it ain't going to be easy, as, as it never is an easy task going to Jordan here to face a Gus Malzahn coach team. You know, uh, Joe, obviously, as uh, Coach Herman Edwards said, 
once famously, you play to win the game. <laughs> However, if that's not attainable, which I don't believe it is for Southern Miss, uh, what I want to see out of the Golden Eagles is just you know their premier talent step up. Uh, Quez Watkins, I want to see him step up against an SEC team and show that he's a dynamic playmaker. Jack Abraham, how does he handle going into that type of atmosphere? You know, uh, in my opinion, as I've you know made mention in this podcast for the past couple of weeks about Quadra Griggs, uh, especially for Abraham, if he can go into a, a, an SEC uh, opponent stadium and and play well, uh, I think that pretty much solidifies his job as the quarterback and just have some positive signs that the Southern Miss team can take going to the rest of the USA play, but uh, Auburn gets a W. Fair enough. Uh, UTEP and UTSA in a battle of the CUSA Texas schools who, you know, need some resume building games here um, at 7 p.m. Eastern time. UTSA favored by 10 at home. I think that's fair, um, regardless of the shape of, you know, UTSA's quarterback play and their offense as a whole. Um, what their defense has been able to do just, you know, leads me to believe um, UTEP doesn't really have a chance here. But, again, that's not setting the bar very high, is it? <laughs> <laughs> no, Joe, can I just say I don't know? Because mm-hmm. uh, here I, these are the two programs that I've I've been going back and forth with in my head and, and over the weeks we've been doing this podcast. And I've been so damn confused with these teams, you know, cause maybe it's because I'm, I'm an eternal optimist. But I just like to see Kyle Oxley take over a ball game because I think he has that kind of talent. Uh, it may be too soon for him, but he's a guy who I really think is, is, is going to get some things going. Uh, for UTSA, I've gone on and on about quarterbacks this year. So Cordell Grundy, you know, you were the guy last week, stick with him this week. Both teams need to get their run games going to to have any chance of setting up their passing attack at all. So we need to see lots of Quadras Wadley and Jalen Rose for their respective clubs. But my pick here is UTSA at home. I do think that they that uh, they will send the Miners for another loss. Send the Miners to the Miners. (laughs) (laughs) You bled. <laughs> God. Uh, Charlotte is heading to UAB on ESPN3. That's at 7 p.m. Eastern time. UAB favored by 17. Um, I think that's about what we're going to see here. Um, UAB is coming off the bye week, have a little uh, time to rest their stellar rushing attack. And, you know, despite Charlotte looking pretty good um, the past few weeks with the play of Chris Reynolds and, and Benny LeMay and, um, you know, some of the other guys on that team. But um, I think just UAB is going to end up doing what UMass was able to do to Charlotte, and that's just get off to a fast start and put them in a hole that they won't be able to come out of. So, um, you know, we'll see how. I know A.J. Erdely's kind of had some up-and-down games so far this year. So I think if he has a good day, then UAB's going to win convincingly. If he doesn't have a good day, then this might be a little uh, too close for comfort. But ultimately, I think still, I still think UAB's going to win regardless. We're in agreement there. You know, the, the fighting Brad Lamberts, they had their chance to win number three last week, and they, they let it get away first in the first 15 minutes of the game versus UMass. UAB is a team that's so talented at the running back position uh, that Charlotte could not only have major troubles defensively, but their offense might not even see the field enough to score 10 points, uh, despite Chris Reynolds having uh, another solid game. For the Blazers, you just want to see Spencer Brown and his backfields do what they do. A.J. Early playing a fishing game. You know, he's a guy who I've talked about in the podcast being a quarterback who I'm a fan of. Uh, just play his game. Be efficient. No turnovers. And put the Niners away early. Uh, convincing win is what I want to see out of uh, UAB against uh, the Niners. Mm-hmm. I, you know, and that's that's the goal. Win to the point where you know you get people talking about you because you know those bye weeks are can be killer if you don't uh, take them seriously. But. Um, FAU is heading to Murfreesboro to face a Middle Tennessee club that was also on a bye week. Um, 
I think just Chris Robeson needs to have a little bit better of a game, and they'll be fine. Um, FAU is only favored by three and a half, which I think is really interesting. I think it's going to be, you know, significantly a bigger margin of victory for the Owls, um, just with how good their offense is, regardless of some defensive struggles or one or two turnovers in the UCF game. So, um, that's all I really have to say about that one. I think FAU is a vastly more talented team right now, and and you know, middle is still trying to figure out. You know who they are and what their what their strengths are outside of uh, Brent Stockstill. Sure, yeah, Joe, and, and you know you made a, a fair point in that the the line is only three. Mm-hmm. I think we got an interesting matchup here with the Owls and the Blue Raiders because I, I firmly believe that the Lane Train will get its steam back and get rolling. Mm-hmm. However, you want to keep an eye on the matchup of uh, of. The Middle Tennessee State uh, pass a pass attack. Well, I'm struggling to get that one out there. The Middle Tennessee State pass attack against an FAU pass defense that's really talented, but they haven't looked like the unit I thought they would going into the season. Uh, Mackenzie Milton shredded them last week, but he does that to every D. So you know, there's nothing new there. Let's see what happens. But uh, also want to see if Chris Robson can, can get going again. Uh, I, I'm not picking uh, Middle Tennessee State to get the upset, but I think we could have a bit of a closer game here. FAU is the more talented team, but uh, you know, the Blue Raider strengths versus the weaknesses is something that you might want to pay attention to. Interesting. Okay. I, you know, I, my impression of Middle Tennessee up to this point has just not been, I just haven't been super impressed. Their one win was against UT Martin, and even that one, if, uh, you know, memory serves correctly, that one was, uh, well, I guess I was going to say it was maybe a little too close for comfort, but they did put up 61 points, so that's that's not really what I would call too close for comfort. But still, um, I think with just how good that offense is playing right now, I don't nothing about Middle Tennessee's defense specifically has really um, kind of pulled me in. So I, I think FAU will will have a pretty easy time, but you know that's why you play the games, I guess. Uh, 7.30 Eastern time, we have Louisiana Tech heading to North Texas. Uh, UNT favored by 7.5. This one's going to be interesting. I think North Texas is going to win just because they're playing fantastic football right now on offense, defense, and special teams. Mason Fine is just looking like an all-world quarterback. And like we talked about, if they can find a running game, then I think that the sky's kind of the limit for this for this ball club. Um but Louisiana Tech's playing some good football right now as well. Um, you know, Jamar Smith threw for 330 yards against an, a, not just an SEC de- defense, but the number six team in the country. Uh, you know, Jaquas Dancy's playing well as also. <coughs> um, I, I think we're going to see a really entertaining game, but ultimately I'm picking North Texas here. Yeah, Joe, you know, this is a game that uh, I will – be at Ricardo Silva Stadium uh, covering the Panthers. But I'm going to try to uh, – there's a couple of TVs in the press box, and I'm going to try to keep an eye on this one because I think it's going to be a really competitive game. Uh, I'm expecting a shootout. Uh, Mason Fine is going to Mason Fine. We all know that. The question is, can the tech team prevent him from putting up those video game numbers? And like I mentioned earlier on the pod, you know, if Lauren Easley is going to be a factor, uh, you know, maybe not to the level of last week's production, but if he can take some of the load off of the passing game, look out. Uh, for tech, it's not like they don't have, you know, offensive firepower of their own. It's really happy to see Jamar Smith rising the challenge, uh, against LSU and the number six team in the nation. But to win in Denton, though, their D's going to need a, a little bit of help. So my, uh, X factor for them is established a quiz early to kind of win the time of possession game. I think the best defense against uh, the Mean Green is going to be uh, working the clock. So this is a tough one for me, but I, I've got UNT. I think Mean Green, the Mean Green keep rolling. Uh, but I, I think it's going to be a close one. I'll say by seven. 
Okay. I can see that. And you make a good point. The best defense against North Texas is just not letting their offense be on the field. So hopefully they can, they can do that for their own sake. You know, I'm not, I'm not taking sides here. I don't really care who wins, but I think North Texas. Sure. Um, and then the last game of the weekend, we have, uh, Arkansas Pine Bluff going to FIU. The game you mentioned that you will be at, uh, 7.30 PM Eastern time in Miami. Um, I really liked what I've seen out of, you know, James Morgan, CJ Wharton, John Darius Phillips, all those guys. Um, Pine Bluff is one of these teams that I'm not super familiar with. I know they're an SE, uh, what do you call it? FCS level. All right. I, my, my, co- my, coffee's been, my coffee's been empty for the last like 20 minutes. I'm struggling. Um, but. I think FIU is ultimately going to take care of business against, uh, you know, a team that's doesn't really match up with them very well. Um, so I think the Panthers take this one rather easily. And you can catch that one on ESPN Plus, by the way. Yeah, let me go ahead and jump in uh, and defend Joe here. You know, uh, it's it's 12.45 my time. It is now 9.45 his time, so it's a little early on his part. So if the coffee's empty, then uh, I don't blame him for, for struggling, especially against, you know, a Pine Bluff team that, you know, no disrespect, but there, there isn't much of a reason to really know anything about them. Uh, although I, I do know a couple things. Uh, this is the first season for uh, Cedric Thomas. He's inheriting a program that went 41-70 and 70 over the past 10 seasons, so he's got his work cut out for him. Uh, Joe, this is a team in Pine Bluff their last two weeks. They lost 90-6 to 6 and 62-30. to 30. Uh, so, so for, for Bush Davis's club, uh, if this one isn't over by halftime, uh, us media members will be waiting a lot longer than we were versus Indiana and, and Miami for the postgame presser. Uh, essentially, what I'd like to see FIU do is just have the type of game they had against UMass, but less sloppy in terms of penalties. Um, FIU should roll easily, and uh, I, pers- on a personal note, would be happy to be back on the campus at FIU. As I was leaving Hard Rock Stadium last week, I had a UM fan who... Uh, uh, Somehow recognized me from Twitter and, and accused me of picking FIU to beat UM and, uh, and followed which, me for about 50 yards of the way to my car. So, which you uh, did not I, do, by the way. Yeah, yeah, which I did not did that. I did not pick them to win. I just said that the game might be close for a couple of reasons. So uh, I'll be happy for my my uh, triumphal return back to uh, FIU's campus. But overall, no, uh, FIU should should win and, uh, convincingly. And like I said, if this one isn't over by halftime, uh, Bush Davis is not going to be a happy guy in the presser. <laughs> All right, there's a lot to unpack in what I heard there. For one, congrats on being recognized, I guess. <laughs> Two, you definitely did not pick Miami to win the FIU game. Or you definitely did not pick FIU to beat Miami, so that's a little concerning to me. Uh, and three, did you say Pine Bluff lost a game 90-6? to Yeah, we'll go ahead and take this all in order here. Um, yeah, uh, I, I did not pick... Uh, FIU to win. Uh, Miami fans, you know, believe that if they're not winning 70 to 0, it's not successful. Um, and yes, Pine Bluff lost 90 to 6 to San Diego, excuse me, uh, South Dakota State. I knew I was going to say San Diego State. To South Dakota State, which is even worse than losing 9 to 6 to San Diego State. And they lost 62 to 13 versus Prairie View, uh, Prairie View A&M. Mm-hmm. So it's been, it's been a rough go at it for, uh, Cedric Thomas in his first year. My goodness. Okay. Well, all right. As we move into another week of football, um, Things I don't think I have to keep saying. Don't chase us down in parking lots um, moving forward. Um, follow us on Twitter. Engage with us uh, civilly, hopefully. Uh, I'm at J-O-E-H-I-O underscore. Um, Eric is at Eric C. Henry with an underscore, I believe. 
You got it right, buddy. Cool. All right. And then follow at Underdog Dynasty on Twitter. Like us on Facebook. Check out the site every day for more uh, fresh G5 football content. And uh, come back next Thursday as we do another one of these shows and unpack what happens this weekend in Week 5 of Conference USA football. Thank you so much for listening. Subscribe to the show on iTunes if you haven't already. Leave us a review. It helps us grow as well. Um, appreciate the feedback, you know, <laughs> in some cases. But, um, again, thanks so much for being around and sticking with us. Uh, happy football watching, everybody. We'll see you next week. Thanks, Joe, for another week. Happy football watching, everybody.